Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Hey, listen, I want to invite you uh, or welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Blue Ridge. Whether you're streaming with us today uh, from the comfort of your home or on vacation or whether you're here, uh, it's always a pleasure to have you. And if this is your first time here, uh, like Matt said, you can just relax. We're not going to pull a fast one on you, make you stand up and introduce yourself, do anything crazy. We're just glad that you've joined us. And I think you've joined us at a good time because as Justin alluded to, we're kicking off a brand new series today called Cloud Nine. And in that, this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at joy. How can we have joy in our life? How can we have happiness in our life? And how can we be fulfilled in our life? You know, I talk to a lot of people during the course of the day and what I do. You talk to a lot of people in what you do, neighbors, friends, family. And the question people are asking is, how can I have joy in my life? How can I have happiness in my life, especially in the midst of the crazy, crazy world that we live in? I mean, you don't have to look too far to see that most of the information that comes to us is negative, right? You can turn on, I don't care what you turn on. Uh, if you're CNN or your Fox News or your you know, NBC or CBS, even ESPN and the Weather Channel, most of it that comes to us is negative. So we're constantly bombarded with these messages of negativity and people want to know, how can I be fulfilled in life? How can I be joyful and happy in life. And so that's what we're going to look at in this series. And the great thing about this subject is God has an incredible amount of wisdom on how we can have joy in our life. And, and the thing about joy and happiness is it's not just going to happen, right? It's not just going to fall into our laps, but it's a choice that we can make as we live our lives how to have fulfillment and joy. And so as we get into the series, I want you to kind of think about this. Joy should never be the goal of our life, right? Or happiness shouldn't be the goal of our life. Because when we make it the goal of our life, what happens is we become self-centered, right? We become all about us. Well, I'm, I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to be happy. And we tend to become self-centered. But the good news is if we will live our lives the way that God says to live our lives, if we'll do certain things in our life intentionally, then the byproduct of living that way will be joy and happiness. So it's a different way of approaching it. We can put it on the front end, make that our ultimate goal and become kind of selfish and self-centered, or we can live the way that God says to live. And the byproduct, he says, is we're going to have joy and happiness in our life. And the amazing thing about joy is it doesn't come from things. Right? We all try to figure that out as we're growing up, but it doesn't come from things. People think, oh, if I have more trips or more cruises or more experiences or more toys or more houses or popularity or whatever, then that's going to bring me joy and happiness in life. And those things do bring joy and happiness, don't get me wrong, but they're temporary. They're, they, they don't last your lifetime. So what brings us joy and happiness is found in people. 
It's found in our relationships. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how to have healthy relationships. But this whole series is going to be based on a book in the, in the Bible, the book of Philippians. And, and the book of Philippians is an incredible book. A lot of times when people become a new follower of Christ, I'll start them in Philippians. I won't start them in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I'll say, man, look in Philippians because it's such a joyful book. You read words like enjoy and rejoice and happy and, and happiness and fulfillment multiple times and in multiple translations. And the thing about Philippians, even though I say it's the most probably joyful book in the scripture and how to have joy and happiness in your life, it was written by the apostle Paul when he was in prison. So here's this guy who, who started a lot of churches, early leader in, in the Christian church, and he's having joy in his life and happiness in his life, and he's sitting in prison talking about the joy and the happiness that he has. I mean, that's a pretty good indicator that the things he talks about that the Lord has placed on him that we can do are going to bring us happiness in life. And Paul wrote the letter of Philippians to the Philippian church, to the people of Philippi, and simply what he's doing in this letter, and it's only four chapters, he's thanking them. And he's talking about his relationship with them. So the first thing I want us to understand, learning number one, it is impossible to be joyful if our personal relationships are strained. Right? We could all probably attest to this. It's, it's impossible for us to be happy and joyful and fulfilled in life if our personal relationships are strained. If you're unhappy in your relationships, you're going to be unhappy in life. We've all met people that have everything from a worldly perspective, right? Plenty of money, plenty of experiences, you know, plenty of places to live, plenty of food and, and clothing, but they're unhappy because their relationships are unhappy. So what Paul does in the book of Philippians is he starts out talking about how do we have healthy relationships. Because again, healthy relationships, if our relationships are healthy, we're going to be joyful. We're going to be happy. And so he starts off in talking about his relationship uh, with the people of Philippi and, and appreciating them. So I want to read you the first 11 verses. You can follow along on that outline, uh, or you can quickly check your email. No, whatever. Um, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So that's kind of the introduction. Now he's getting into it. He says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel this way about you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion 
of Christ Jesus. And then he continues. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now that's a lot to take in. A lot he's praising and talking about uh, this, this church in Philippi. And what we'll do is we'll go through this and we'll kind of pull out little sections so you don't have to remember everything at once. But he's really telling us a lot about his relationship with the Philippian people. And the things that he points out that you and I can do in our relationships, they're very easy to understand. But they're incredibly difficult for us to do. So just know that as we go through there, uh, go through this, these things are really hard for us to do. But the very first thing we notice is that Paul is grateful for the people in his life. And I think that's a lesson for us. The more appreciative we are of the people that God has placed in our life, the more joy we're going to have in life. Remember, joy is not the goal, it's the byproduct. But if we're grateful for the people that God's placed in our life and placed all around us, we are going to have more joy in life. He said, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Not some of the times, not when I feel like it, but every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. That right there is the source of having healthy and good relationships. Simple gratitude. Gratitude for the people in our life. Listen, when we stop having gratitude and we stop uh, being thankful for those closest to us, our relationships start to fall apart. Think about it. When spouses stop talking to each other, when they stop communicating, the marriage is going to struggle. When, when families stop communicating with each other, when we stop saying thanks to people in our family when they do different things, when the family stops talking and communicating, what happens? Distance. Distance grows in that family and the relationship starts to suffer. And what happens when our relationships are suffering? We're going to have less joy and less happiness in our lives. And listen, again, this isn't easy. It's easy to understand, but it's not easy to do. I mean, think about it. When you think of people in your life, do you automatically give God thanks for them? Don't lie in church. Right? We probably don't. The very first thing we do is probably not give thanks to God for them. We usually evaluate them or we, think we size them up. Right? Oh, I bet they're going to be in a bad mood again. I bet they're going to talk about their job again. You know, I, I bet they're going to do this, or I bet they're going to, I wonder, it, it, you know, if they're in a bad mood, or, or if they're going to cause any more drama, whatever. Our very first initial thought when we think about the people in our life is not Thanksgiving for that person. Our first thought is, I'm not doing Thanksgiving with that person, <laughs> Right? And the reason I say this is easy to understand, but it's hard to do, is because the longer we've been with people in our lives, the easier it is for us to take them for granted. 
The longer a couple has been married, the easier it is for them to take each other for granted. And so Paul says, every time I thank of you, I give thanks. So if we can kind of readjust and start focusing on our thanks for the people in our life, as soon as we think about them, instead of what they've done wrong or how they've messed up in the past or, you know, the drama they've caused in our life, it will change that relationship because it's going to change us for sure in the way we see things. Remember, our joy and our happiness is a byproduct of how we choose to live our lives. And if we choose to be grateful for the people in our life, whether that person changes or not is irrelevant. We're going to change. We're going to change. And, and like Paul is doing here, a great way uh, to be grateful or to be joyful or thankful for the people in your life is remember the good they've done for you. Or maybe remember the sacrifice they've made for you. Or remember the impact that they've had on your life. It could have been in the past, but we tend to only focus on the bad things. We tend to only remember the negative things. Paul here, in this letter he's writing, he's remembering the good things. He's got what most men have right here. He's got selective memory. Right? Men, men are accused of having selective memory. But he's choosing to focus on the things that went good with the church in Philippi. Because let me tell you, this was probably the most difficult church plant for Paul. I mean, it, it was a horrible experience. He was beaten. He was whipped. You know, he was humiliated. He was falsely arrested. And he's thrown in jail. It was not a good experience for Paul. But he chose to recall the good things. I mean, you read this letter and you think it was all um, unicorns and rainbows for Paul in Philippi. But it wasn't. It was a very difficult experience. He's just simply choosing to focus on went right, what went right. He's choosing to focus on the good things. We have the same power with the people in our lives. We could dwell on the hurtful things or how they disappointed us or the painful things, or we can choose to focus on the positive things and the good things. So ask yourself a question here. Are you still living with maybe some painful memories with people in your life? Maybe your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your husband or your wife. Are you holding on to the past? Something they did or they didn't do for you. Or maybe there's some unforgiveness in your heart or bitterness towards your neighbor or, or another person. We choose to recall and we choose to remember what we want to. It's our choice. We can either remember those bad things all the time and knowing we're not going to have joy and happiness ultimately and those relationships are going to be strained. Or we can remember the good things. Holding on to painful memories or, or things that people have done in our relationships, it's always a barrier to joy. Paul had every single reason in the world to remember the painful experiences in that church plant in Philippi, but he chose not to do that. He chose to be grateful for those people in his life. Something else we can learn from this passage, learning number two I should pray for the people 
in my life. Right? It, wasn't it verse 4? He said, I always pray for you. It's encouraging when people pray for us. It's encouraging when somebody says, hey, I've been praying for you. Man, sometimes that's what gets me through. And I know that's what gets you through. Just know there's people that are praying for you. Now, I want you to do a little exercise, whether you're at home or here. I want you to think of somebody that irritates you. Don't look at them. <laughs> Just think of somebody. Oh, come on. Just think of somebody that irritates you. Do you pray for them? Probably not. We probably don't. But if we could pray with joy in our heart, God can change people. Right? It's not our responsibility uh, to change people, but those people that drive us crazy, those people that irritate us, those people that you know, bug us, maybe we should pray for them with gratitude for the positive things in their life. That's what Paul's doing for the people in Philippi. I think the quickest way to change a bad relationship into a good relationship is to start praying for the other person. Again, whether they change or not, it's going to change you. But God changes people, right? But even if that person doesn't change at all, it's going to change you in the way you approach that relationship. And you may be like, well, I don't, I don't know what to pray. Paul answered that for us. Verses 9 through 11. Let me read it again. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And then may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ for this will bring much glory and praise to God. What's he saying? Well, he's saying pray for love. Pray that others will grow in love. We know love's the most important thing. Jesus was put on the spot and he said love God and love people. So, you know, pray for love. Pray that people in your life will make wise choices. And you know what? We can pray for anybody. It doesn't have to be your husband or your wife all the time. It can be your kids, your grandkids, your parents, your grandparents, your neighbor, the people that you work with. But pray for love in their life because we know love changes everything. Pray for integrity. Pray to learn who God is and learn God's ways and they'll walk you know, blamelessly. And most important of all, pray they know Jesus. Pray they become like Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. Pray for love in those people. You know, parents, there's your prayer agenda for your kids. Pray for love. Pray for love. It changes everything. And what does Paul mean, you know, may you enjoy the fruit of your salvation? He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit that's found in Galatians chapter 5. I think it was four years ago, five years ago, Hardy and I did a series on the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the things, and we'll do that sometime in the future, but those are the things specifically that bring us joy and happiness in our life. And that verse, I put it on your outline so you know these things, and these are things you can actually pray in people's lives. 
But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. What else are those things? Those are characteristics of Jesus. So when you don't know what to pray, pray those things in a person's life. When you're a little six-year-old needs patience, maybe you should pray that they'll have some patience. Pray for kindness. Pray for any of those things. When we're grateful for others, when we pray for others, it changes our angle that we approach others, and we, the ending result, are going to be more joyful. We're going to be more happy and more fulfilled in life. What else can we learn from what we read? Learning number three, I should expect the best from people in my life. We don't normally do that. We don't normally expect the best out of the people around us. If we're honest, a lot of times we expect the worst. We expect them to to let us down, to, to fall short, especially if they have a track record. Right? Maybe they've let us down or disappointed us in the past. Paul says, hey, I make it a habit of believing in people rather than maybe criticizing them or, or, or having a lack of confidence in them. Because what did he say? He said, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Paul was confident. Confident that what God had started in people, he was going to carry that on. And he expected the best of those people. He believed in people. We have to believe in people and expect the best even when they let us down. And so I was like asking myself this question this week. Do do I give people confidence in their life or do I tend to tear them down? And I think that's a question we should ask because Paul says, give them confidence. Believe in people. Help them to grow. If you think about it, we all need people in our lives that believe in us. That's how we change for good, isn't it? You know, we have to believe in ourselves. We have to believe in what God can do in our life. But it's so encouraging when other people believe in us as well. It helps us to do better. We all need people to believe in us to change. We really do. I mean, think about it. Most churches in the world, every Sunday, it's, all right, we're going to come down on people. This is what you're doing wrong. This is how bad you are. This is where you're going. Right? Sometimes we don't need to know exactly how things are. Sometimes we need to know how it can be. Hey, I see this in you. I know you can do this. We just simply need to encourage people to take that step in the direction they need to go. When people expect the best of us, we tend to do better, right? Our track record's better. And here's something else along those same lines, learning number four. I need to be patient with people's progress. Paul knew that it was a journey for everybody. We're all on the journey. We're all at different spots on the journey. We talked about that in our Blueprint series, our last series. Each of us is going at a different pace. That's okay. Don't expect people to be where you're at, and don't expect you to be where somebody else is at. 
It's a journey. Be patient with people wherever they are. Why is that so important to joy and to happiness? Well, if you're always expecting perfection, perfection in your kids, perfection in your husband, perfection in your wife, perfection in your boss at work, you're always going to be disappointed, right? None of us are ever going to attain perfection. Nobody's perfect. And if that's our standard, then we're always going to be disappointed. Paul says simply be patient with people's progress, no matter where they're at in life. We should celebrate with people how far they've come instead of saying, this is where you need to go. This is where you need to be in life. Celebrate the progress that they've made. You know, I think about when my kids were little. And if they did something, accomplished something, maybe they did good on a spelling test. Or they drew, you know, those how kids draw the stick family, stick picture families. And, and if they drew a picture or whatever it was, we'd say, man, that's great. That's perfect. Because it was great. And it was perfect for where they were at in life at that age and stage they were at. The beauty of the Lord is he doesn't, you know, wait until we're mature and we're complete to start loving us. And we shouldn't do that with the people in our lives either. We should love them no matter where they're at in life and where they're at on the journey. And here's the last thing I want to talk about that we can do in our relationships, love. If you look at verse 7, Paul said, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. Key to joy, key to happiness in relationships, making those relationships work is letting people penetrate your heart. So many people are walking around today and their heart is closed. You know, their mind may be open, but their heart is hard and their heart is closed. I'm not letting anybody in my heart because they could hurt me. They could hurt my feelings. You know, you know I could get damaged in this. And the problem is we don't ever let anybody into our heart. But if you let people into your heart, it's really hard to get irritated with somebody that's in your heart. You know, that has touched you in that way. So many of the relationship problems that we have, whether they're, you know, marriage-type relationships, love-type relationships, or friendships, is because over and over and over, we don't let people into our heart. And we only deal on a head basis, head knowledge basis, right? We never open up our heart in relationships. Like, think about it like this. Let's say, uh, guys, your girlfriend or your wife comes to you and says, hey, this scares me. This worries me. This frightens me. And you're like, that shouldn't frighten you. That's not even, that's not even logical. You, you know, you shouldn't think like that. That's using your head but it's not using your heart. Listen, I've learned after 31 years of marriage, if there's something real in my wife's head, it's real, right? It doesn't matter what it is, it's real, and you better take it seriously. But a lot of times we just react to their head, well, that's not logical, you shouldn't think that way. No, put yourself in their shoes. Open your heart and try to feel what that person is feeling. Loving from your heart and letting people in your heart means you begin with understanding that person. I know why they tick 
and what makes them tick and how they tick. And I still love them even though they tick that way. Right? You just listen to them and you accept them. You open that heart and you let them in. And so the last secret that Paul really shares with us for successful, healthy relationships, which means the byproduct of healthy relationships is going to be joy and happiness for us, is learning number five. I need to love people uh, the way Jesus does, like Jesus does. I need to love people like Jesus does. The truth is we truly are all pretty self-centered. We tend to be pretty selfish. We look at our own needs first. That's kind of human nature. But Paul's saying we need to love people the way that Christ does. Verse 8 said, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. In other words, we have to love those in our life with all that we have. Regardless of how they respond or how they act, we have to love them with everything we have. Listen to 1 John 3.16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, you know the biggest problem with a lot of our relationships today? We don't know that verse. What does that mean? We should give up our lives for others. That doesn't always mean death. It means we should do whatever it takes to love. We should do whatever it takes to love people who, quite frankly, are difficult to love. Because again, if our relationships are working, what happens? The byproduct is joy. Now, 1 John 3.16, that should sound like another verse that's familiar to you. John 3.16. 1 John 3.16, John 3.16, written by the same person. John 3.16 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And maybe you know that from a different translation. But our biggest relationship problem today is we know John 3.16. We don't know or we ignore 1 John 3.16. John 3.16 is the way to salvation. It's the way to have our sins forgiven. It's the way to a home in heaven, eternal life. We're appreciative of John 3.16, right? That God sent his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We, we love that. But often we ignore 1 John 3.16. Let me read 1 John 3.16 again. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Real love is when we give up our life for our brothers and sisters. Real love is when we are willing to sacrifice what we want and what we desire and humble ourselves 
in order to love the people in our lives. Aren't you glad you came to church today? That's not easy. I want to do what I want to do. I want what's best for me. If we would give up what we want in favor of what it takes to love other people, we wouldn't have any more relationship problems. You know why? Because we would never be focused on ourselves. We'd be focused on others. That's what the scripture means. Real love is being willing to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters, to humble ourselves enough to do whatever it takes to love them. We do that, we're always thinking about others, and we're not thinking about ourselves. And the byproduct of that is happiness and joy. Let's pray. God, <laughs> this is tough. It's no wonder that we focused on John 3.16 and not 1 John 3.16. But as we close today and our uh, eyes are closed and we're praying, I want you just to do a little personal evaluation. Where can you improve in some of the things that Paul showed us with the Philippian church? Where can we be more grateful, God? in our relationships? Who is it in our lives, God, we need to be more grateful for? Lord, who is it that we need to be praying for? Lord, just show us. Show us who we need to believe in and encourage and pour confidence into, no matter where they're at on the journey with you or in their journey, in their life, their vocation, whatever it is. And God, show us those people that we need to love more. Lord, honestly, I think a lot of times we have read 1 John 3.16 in the past, and we think that just means being willing to die for somebody, physical death. But it's much deeper than that. Lord, help us to, to truly lay down our lives and what we desire and what we need and what we want for the sake of loving others. Because, Lord, we know love is the most important thing. God, thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the churches in our community and all around us. Help us all to love the people you've placed around us. To truly, the first thing we think about is how grateful we are for those people. Lord, we love you and we praise you. Jesus' name, amen. So real quick, as we finish up today, uh, if you're a graduating senior, like from high school or from college, we're going to have senior photos here at the church on Wednesday from 2 to 4 and Thursday from 3 to 5. Maybe things have been a little tight during COVID. You're not going to go get those formal pictures or you can't get an appointment and you just want to have a, a, a good picture to remember your graduation by, we're going to be taking those here at the church, come in any time at that point. What I told them we needed to do was get a, one of those little desks and put an apple on it. No? Or how about the fence? You know, you're sitting on the fence. And, uh, 
It won't be like that. It'll be a cool backdrop, but it's just a way we can say congratulations to you guys. And even if it's something you just want to use on Facebook or have for your personal records other than your formal pictures, uh, stop by Wednesday or Thursday and let us celebrate you uh, as you graduate. It's so incredible. So each week in this series, we're going to look at different things that we can do in our lives where the end result is going to be joy. I thank you so much for being here today. Get outside, enjoy the weather, and come back and see us next Sunday. God bless you.